has the also the great uh, opportunity and blessing have, have been in a number of places internationally. So I've asked Ben, come and tell us a little bit about, for an American church here in the mountains in Colorado, what could we learn and know that would be helpful for us related to international missions? And Ben's going to talk a little bit about that. All right. Thank you. Good morning. <clears throat> By the way, what? Do you need a lectern? Uh, no, I'm okay. Yeah, that's good. By the way, that burger was totally worth getting sick the entire weekend, <laughs> so I would do that again any day. Uh, yeah, Pastor Mark did ask if I would share a little bit on some thoughts on missions and, and specifically how churches here in the United States can best partner some of the best practices in regard to um, international missions, uh, mission work and ministries and missionaries in working with them. So when he said that, one of the first things that immediately came to mind is what's on this next slide, which I think you'll find quite interesting to look at. The reality that we live in a rapidly changing world. And what I mean by that is just within the last 200 years, it is remarkable how the landscape of Christianity has changed from the West, really a lot to the Eastern uh, Latin America parts of the world, Asia, Africa, Latin America, because just in 1800, 200 years ago, 99% of Christians lived in either Europe or North America, Europe and North America, just 1% in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. Then you fast forward 100 years, and that went down a little bit, 90% uh, in Europe and North America, 10% in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. But then look at, from 1979, just 79 years later, it was split about 50-50, Christians living in Europe and North America and Christians living in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. And then 2011, this number is astonishing, 26%, down from 99% of Christians in the world today, only 26% live in Europe and North America, whereas now 74% live in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. Do you see how different that is just in 200 years those changes mean that there needs to be a change in our thinking as well. So on this next slide, I've put together four things that I just wanted to briefly um, touch on of the way our mindset might need to change a little bit when it comes to missions. And the first has to do with pioneer versus partner uh, ministries. And it's, when I say this, I'll qualify this uh, carefully by saying this doesn't mean when I say partner versus pioneer, it doesn't mean that God still isn't calling missionaries from uh, our parts of the world to go to Latin America, Asia, Africa, Middle East, wherever, um, other parts of the world. But it does mean that when you have 74% of the Christian population living in Latin America, Africa, Asia, it means there's already an indigenous church that has the passion, has a vision, has compassion to reach out to people more like them than we might be uh, uh, to them. And so we need to come alongside, even more so, the indig indigenous church and support them and raise them up and provide the teaching and the resources that they need to reach people that are closer in their parts of the world. So rather than us being so much the pioneers uh, there are already indigenous churches out there that are ready to reach um, places closer to them that are, that are still unreached. So 
a couple other statistics just along those lines. There's about 2 billion people who would identify as a Christian. Doesn't necessarily mean they're a, a practicing Christian the way you and I would think of it, but would identify as a Christian. There are still 2 billion unreached people in the world today, meaning there's no indigenous church that exists in those parts and, you know, not even one or two believers in that particular, uh, in those particular places. In fact, there's about 16,000 people groups in the world today and about 6,700 are still unreached. That's 25% of the world that is completely unreached, has no indigenous church, no believers. So, Two billion people professing to be believers, two billion that are completely unreached, you realize that if just every believer would share with one other person, that would reach the unreached. And that's not, but that's not including the other billions that are um, not necessarily unreached, but they're unsaved. And there's a, there's a couple more billion people, obviously, in that category when you have over seven billion people in the world today. But we need to take the mindset of being partners with churches and believers around the world. And then the second is mutual ministry. I love to take people on mission trips with me because one of the most fascinating things that happens is often people from here... We go thinking that we're going to be giving and blessing and serving more than we're going to be blessed, served, or given something. But what people come away with realizing is that the church there has a lot that we lack here, just like we have some things that they lack there. So, for example, the church here in the States might have the resources and the training, uh, material type of aspects that those in other countries, believers and churches in other countries lack, but I've often found that they have the faith, the passion, uh, humility, hospitality, these kinds of things, what it really looks like to live the Christian life that sometimes we lack. And so there needs to be this mutual ministry that takes place where it's us not just going in as this next point will say as the heroes, but us coming in with humility, realizing that the church in other parts of the world has some things to teach us, just as we have uh, some things that might be helpful to them. But it's not one-sided. It's not one-sided at all. The third thing here is mindset and attitude. Um, often there is a hero mentality that, as Americans, we sometimes like to have going into other countries where we see ourselves as the heroes and, you know, we're, we're, we're going to change the world and um, we might look at uh, those in other parts as kind of, um, you know, as, as, well, quite frankly, as stupid or they don't know how to do things the right way, etc. But it's actually comical because I'm in a lot of poor places around the world and yet in a lot of those places where I'm with extremely poor people, I find them to be some of the most shrewd, smart, innovative people in the world. And we don't need to, nor do they want us to come in as the heroes that do everything for them. They want us to come in with the humility of the Holy Spirit, the humility of Jesus. In fact, even the Holy Spirit isn't referred to in Scripture as the hero. He doesn't even take that title. There's only one hero, and his name is Jesus, and we're there to come in the spirit and the attitude and the humility that he came in, and that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of as an advocate, as a counselor, as a helper. We need to take that approach of a helper rather than a hero. 
And then fourthly, holistic ministry. Some people think that um, the good news and good deeds are mutually exclusive, that it's either one or the other. But really, those two things go together, fit together so well, and doing both can actually open the door to, like, the good news can, or the uh, uh, doing good deeds can open the door to uh, the good news being able to be shared. So I'll give you some examples of that as we go into the next slide. Um, this is basically Serve Now's model, and I'm not saying this is the only model out there. There's a lot of ministries and mis- uh, missionaries that are represented here. Uh, God has called and gifted each of us uniquely, so that's not what I'm saying as I say this is, this is not the only model that's out there. But our model at Serve Now is to, first of all, equip indigenous churches that already exist with the Word of God and with discipleship resources. I mean, these are pastors, people that have never had any training They have no resources. They can't go to a seminary um, like your pastor apparently is doing right now. Uh, So they desperately need the Word of God and just basic foundational resources to help them gain the knowledge that they need about the Christian life. So we first of all start there with equipping the church, and then we empower that those churches, and it's about 1,500 right now that we're working with in different countries of the world empowering them to reach out and serve their community according to whatever that need might be that would be most effective to break down barriers, to get through obstacles that perhaps for years they've been unable to get through. And this is where this mutual ministry comes into place because, again, they have the passion, they have the compassion, they have the vision, but they might lack the resources or the, the material that they need to break some of these barriers. And I could stand up here and tell story after story of how that has happened. Um, just one example that I'll give is, is in India. One of the big barriers there, and India is one of the primary countries that we're serving in, um, one of the barriers is that a lot of people think that Christianity is a white man's religion and Jesus is a foreign god. So imagine when a white man like me <laughs> comes in from a foreign country and tries to preach about Jesus. That just, in some cases, in some settings, feeds into that stereotype. But what can be more effective is to come in and in humility serve the people in some practical, tangible way, and then have the local indigenous Indian believers and pastors be the ones that share the gospel with their village and community. They already know the language. They already know the culture. They know some of the uh, uh, phrases to avoid or ones to use. So they can be much more effective, and it's also more cost-efficient to enable them and empower them to do that by just coming alongside them. So recently we had, uh, there were bad floods at the same time of Hurricane Harvey uh, in Texas and the hurricane in Florida. So this kind of got overlooked in the news, but there was horrible floodings in India. So we brought in, uh, we provided a, a medical care for about 200 people in a completely unreached village, meaning no Christian, no church. And we also just recently provided some winter coverings for these same people in the same village that their homes have been destroyed, they have nothing, cold winter coming, uh, and uh, so this was just a very practical way to serve them. And <clears throat> what these two practical things ended up doing in that unreached village was enabling a local evangelist who's had a heart for this community to finally be able to freely and more openly share the gospel in a way that the people were receptive to, whereas before they were completely opposed. 
I mean, it just broke down barriers and walls just like that. And we're talking about winter coverings that cost $15, a medical clinic that cost $350. And yet these are, these are numbers, money, that resources that they don't have, that to them is a lot, but for us is so little and yet can have such a big impact in these countries as in that case. Last example is Uganda, just speaking to the holistic ministry side of things. Um, children in Uganda know... Which, by the way, I'm going to be there again in December. Uh, I'll be leaving here shortly to go uh, for about a week to Uganda. Um, children in Uganda know that education is their only ticket out of poverty, and their families know that as well. So these kids will walk miles barefoot early in the morning, late at night, just to receive an education. So we're coming alongside a pastor who started with a church of about 20. It's now a church of 700. He's planted 350 churches all around different parts of Uganda. And uh, he, we not only helped train those pastors, but he also started a network of eight different schools. But these schools are 20 years old. They're made of mud and bamboo. They're falling apart. They're being destroyed by termites. And if the kids don't have a place to meet for an education, they'll never get out of poverty, and they know this. So we're trying to help this pastor rebuild as many of these classroom buildings as possible. Uh, in fact, we have a matching grant opportunity coming up. There was somebody that just recently gave us $35,000 as a matching grant. So that means that uh, if we raise the other 35000 we can build that entire new school building that you see in one of those pictures behind me. Um, so every dollar is doubled uh, of gifts that go towards that. And... Uh, I want to, you know, just briefly say here that this is more than just an education because at these schools, we also have medical clinics that we set up and there have been wells that have been uh, dug at some of these locations as well. And those wells and clinics are not just for the children, but for the entire community and villages. So the school becomes a hub for the entire village. And these are kids that are orphaned. These are kids that are living in extreme poverty And there's also a church that meets at each of these eight school locations, very strategically, very specifically. So it becomes a hub for the whole community. And in a country like Uganda, where people go around saying, you know, I love you, I love you, uh, and a lot of businesses have Christian names in their titles, there's a lot of words, a lot of Christian lingo. But to the people, it's kind of like that verse in James where, you know, when you say keep warm and well-fed, but you don't actually do something about their real need, what good is it? It's the same thing in Uganda. So this is where good deeds or meeting real needs has such a powerful and profound impact to being opening people's hearts to the good news of the gospel. And that is what is happening in Uganda. So that's just one opportunity. I'd love to be there uh, or when I'm there, stand there before hundreds of kids. It's a network of 4,000 kids. One of these schools will be a couple classes of of a couple hundred children. Um, And to be able to stand there and say, we've been able to uh, you're going to have a new building coming up would be, would be quite exciting if that happens within the next couple of weeks. Uh, is there one more slide? Just uh, another opportunity. In 2018, in July, I'll be leading a team to Uganda. So if you'd like to join me, would love to talk more about that with you um, and uh, so that you can experience that reality of mutual ministry, holistic ministry, coming in as a partner uh, rather than rather than a hero, and just seeing how the indigenous church is alive, it is well, it is strong, it is vibrant, 
and together we can really make a big difference um, in some small but practical and profound ways. So I think I've probably gone way over my time, so I'll, I'll cut it short and in there. Actually, you're the only missionary I've ever met who's right on top. Oh, really? We're pastoring here. There's about seven. There's about oh man, that's a lot more than I expected. That's actually pretty good. That's pretty good. So yeah, good morning. So I grew up in this small mountain church, and I want to thank Ben uh, because what I want to do is illustrate many of the things that uh, he talked about today. Uh, and also celebrate 20 years of partnership with Dillon Community Church. So I don't, I don't know how many people have been here for 20 years. No? 20 years already have been in D- Dillon Community Church? Okay, that's great. There aren't many things that, that, that last that long in Summit County. Uh, so I've got one slide for all 20 years, so I don't know if I'll be able to make it, make it through my time. You can go to the next one. That's what we looked like when we moved to Summit County in 1979. So it's a lot more than 20 years ago. Uh, you can see me on the bike there in front of, uh, in front of the church. If you see the snowdrifts. Uh, and we'll make it all the way through to 2017. That's my little family uh, there. My, my parents are actually here, if you'd like to, to welcome them. Mike and Faye Finley pastored in the 70s and 80s. My little sister and her children, Sarah and her children, are there. And then uh, my family sitting just, just behind them. Uh, I've actually lived in Paris, France longer than I ever lived in Colorado. I've been there for 20 years now. And Dillon Community Church has supported our ministry during that entire time. Uh, I wish I could say everything that we've done during that time, but let's, let's just quickly move to the next slide and, and we'll go for it. Uh, he said we're not the heroes of our own stories, and that's, that's really true. And just to illustrate that, I, want to tell, I wasn't going to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it. I went to Summit High School, and by accident, I found myself in a French class. Now, what really interested me at Summit High School was playing soccer and ski racing. Uh, so this French class was during soccer season. You had to have a B average, and we couldn't think of any reason why you would ever need to speak French. Why, why would you ever need to speak French in Summit County? Do you speak French to anybody? Hein? Bonjour. Est-ce qu'il y a quelqu'un qui parle français ici? Personne? Vous parlez français? Un petit peu? Très bien. Ah, vous êtes française. Non, même pas. Okay. So there are people who speak French, but when I was 16, I couldn't think of any reason. So three guys on our soccer team got a hold of the final exam. <laughs> they all got perfect scores. And I missed one or two questions. They got uh, kicked off the team for cheating. Nobody found out that I cheated on my French test. And I never learned French because why would I ever need to learn to speak French? Chérie, tu vas bien? 
Ma, ma femme là-bas, elle est française. Hein? That's my French wife there, and you, you see her in the picture. Uh, the Lord had a very surprising path for me, obviously. Uh, I couldn't think of... If you would ask me when I lived here in Summit County if I was going to have a French wife, three boys born in Paris, uh, plant four churches in the Paris region, and start a mission agency that would send missionaries from France to the greater French-speaking world, I would have thought you were crazy. Uh, but that's what you and we have done together over the last 20 years. Uh, the picture up in the, in the upper corner are people from our church. They all have French passports, including, including me. Uh, they also have origins as diverse as Egypt, Guadeloupe, uh, Congo, Haiti. Uh, I'm looking at the different people. Uh, I don't know. C- uh, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, Ivory Coast. And uh, we, we planted churches in the multicultural, multiracial region of Paris. Our, our mission agency and its partners have planted over 20 churches in, in the greater Paris region. Uh, those churches represent the reverse colonization. Uh, France was in 24 countries in, in Africa. Uh, France was in Africa, now Africa is in France, and particularly in the, in, in the Paris region. To help you understand what that looks like, imagine that everybody who's worshiping Jesus in the French language was in this room with us. That we could fit representatives of the entire global French-speaking population, French Christian-speaking population who are worshiping Jesus today in French. What, what would that congregation look like? Uh, would it look like Pierre and Jeannette uh, with, um, with a beret and a baguette under the... Huh? Let's look at the next slide. There you go. The global uh, French-speaking church is an African church, essentially. There are over 48 million uh, Christians in West Africa alone. Uh, France counts about 600,000, a little less than 600,000 uh, evangelical Christians in the world. So, if we, there were representatives in this entire room, there'd be a little section of uh, white believers, you know, dispersed throughout the... In fact... First time my, my son, he was about six years old, visited this church, uh, as we were walking in, you know, to, to come in and sit down, he, he, he pulled on my, on my sleeve and, you know, he, he wanted to ask me a question, so he whispers in my, in my ear, Dad, where's everybody else? I said to me, where's everybody else? I said, what do you mean? He said, everybody's white here, where's everybody else? You'd never been a part of a church that was just one color. Church was the place where you came together where everybody was representative, uh, where everybody was represented. And uh, so that's, that's what we, that was our experience in the Paris region. As I was uh, pastoring some of these churches that I planted, I had board members from Congo, I had board members from the, the Caribbean, and I, I started realizing that I really needed to go to Africa to understand how to do my job. Uh, the cultures were so diverse, and... Uh, those of you who have ever been part of a church board, you know that even when you're all from the same culture, it can be complicated. So I had the opportunity to, to begin to teach in uh, Bible school in Ivory Coast. I went for the first time in 2007. I think that's the next slide. Well, yeah, well, well, that's, that's good enough. 
Uh, actually, the picture was in the, on the other slide. I got my stories out of order. But 2007, I started teaching in a Bible school. And then Benjamin that you see in the, in the upper picture there with the eggs, those are uh, crates of eggs that are being loaded onto a bicycle to be taken to market. Uh, Benjamin came as one of our short-term teams. Uh, he was a banker working with the BNP, which is a large multinational French, French bank, uh, making six figures or maybe more. I'm not exactly sure how much he was making, but un- unsatisfied with his, his life in the, in the Paris region. Uh, he's just one example. We, we opened work over the last 10 years in Burkina Faso, Ivory Coast, and uh, Congo Brazzaville. So I, can, I only have time to tell you about uh, Ivory Coast. Uh, Benjamin was the first one to go long term. He moved into a Muslim village in northern Ivory Coast during the Civil War. Uh, we couldn't get any other mission agency to help us to do that. And so we created our own, and we called it oikos. Oikos is a Greek, Greek word that means household. And you can see the bricks uh, in, the, in the logo. The, the images of a, of a house uh, being built, and all of the different peoples of the world making uh, up that house uh, where God plans to live for all eternity. And so we called ourselves oikos, uh, making connections between the global body of Christ. And Benjamin... French banker, went and lived in a Muslim village where he got malaria, where he had flies lay eggs in the mosquito bites on his legs, and uh, you know, I can go into the different uh, sufferings that he had as he learned the language that's called Jula. Jula is spoken by 17 million people in West Africa, mostly in Burkina Faso, Mali, and Ivory Coast, uh, 17 million Muslim people. Uh, he lived there for a while. He got married. Uh, he moved into another village. He started an egg business. Uh, today, there's a church of 50 people. Last week, they baptized seven Muslim uh, converts. Isn't that great? And just remember, I was the guy that cheated on my French test. Huh? This is, this is, these are the kinds of things that God is doing in the world. And as Ben said, the, the majority of believers are now in the Southern Hemisphere. So there are far more African uh, French-speaking believers than, in, than, in, than in, uh, in Europe. So the missional edge is actually in Western Europe. Uh, but there are still unreached people in, in Africa. The world is the mission field. And so if, when, I, when you heard that I live in Paris and work in Paris, you were saying, poor Jonathan suffering for Jesus in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower. Just remember that uh, France counts less than 1% evangelical believers. There is lots of work to do, lots of churches to be planted. And I dream of the day when our churches in Ivory Coast begin to send missionaries to, to, to Europe. Uh, that's what we want to see happen. So I still have 20 years to go before retirement, so I look forward to coming back in another 20 years to celebrate 40 years of partnership together. But thank you for your time uh, today.